Welcome to the Two-Way Radio Show. I'm Rick Savoya. And I'm Danny Feemster. And this is the podcast about two-way radios for business and consumer communications. Today we'll talk with a driver of a kart racing team and learn how two-way radios are used in this motorsport. He will tell us about the sport, how he started racing, and how both the teams and officials use radios during racing events. We'll also take some of your questions from our blog and our forum at twowayradioforum.com. Our show is sponsored by BuyTwoWayRadios.com, the source of two-way radios and radio accessories for businesses and consumers since 2002. Enter the promo code SHOW at checkout and save an additional 5% off your order. BuyTwoWayRadios.com, your radio specialists. Two-way radios are used extensively in professional sporting events such as motor racing. Considering this, it's not surprising to find they are also used in other competitive arenas such as kart racing. How do radio communications fit into motorsports? We interviewed Christopher North from Not Ready Racing to learn more about kart racing, what types of radios are typically used in this sport, and how their team uses radios during racing events. As we go, racing with radios. And we're speaking with Christopher North of NotReadyRacing.com. Christopher is a kart uh, racer, and he has a kart racing team called Not Ready Racing. Uh, you can see it at NotReadyRacing.com. You can go visit his website there. And uh, he's basically uh, been doing this for a little over a decade. We're going to find out a little bit more about what Chris is doing, how he got started, and... Uh, really how he's using radios, incorporating radios with his racing team. Uh, Chris, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, for starters here, you're based in Rhode Island, right? Yes. Yep, yeah. Based out of Rhode Island. Okay. Your whole team is, is from Rhode Island or they're from various other places? Uh, so most of our team is from Rhode Island. We have one uh, member who's from uh, right on the border with Connecticut and Rhode Island. So all very close. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty small state as it is. Tell me a little bit about how you got started in kart um, racing or racing in general. I, I know you've been doing this for a while. Yeah. So um, after I'd come back from the service, um, I'd always had an interest in the automobiles, cars, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more car events I went to, the more I found out people started to do uh, auto racing you know, different forms of uh, rallycross, autocross, things of that nature. And uh, I'd done that for probably about two or three years and made a bunch of connections through that as well. And then as I progressed, we started to do more kart racing, uh, indoor and outdoor kart racing on the weekends. Um, And uh, as you might imagine, auto racing is very expensive yeah, uh, kart oh, yeah. racing kart <laughs> racing's a, a fraction of the price. So um I said auto racing's a great time. You know, I still, you know, hop in a car every once in a while, but 
kart racing has been our, our go-to for the better part of the last eight or nine years. So you've done some, what, Formula One style racing and things like that, or, or uh, indie style racing or, or anything like that? Has yes, been- we've done we've done some open wheel racing. We've gone to a couple of uh, different training schools and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a school up here held at uh, Lime Rock, which is a racetrack in Connecticut. Um, Skip Bumper is the one who puts that that school on. Uh, and they have a couple different different racing mm-hmm. programs, different schools. Um, they have open wheel. They have more of the closed wheel, um, you know, stock car racing for people who are going to progress through that. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, I've always liked the, the open wheel racing a little more. Um, I've made a couple of, uh, a couple of connections through that along with having some connections previous to the racing and they've come along for the ride as well. Sounds like you've been pretty heavy into this for quite a while. Now, did you start, Um, kart racing when you were a kid or something? Because I know that a lot of kart racers that are doing it now kind of start off when they were, you know, seven or eight, nine years old and that sort of thing and kind of kind of got the 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 bug sort of bit them then and then they, you know, they went on to, to bigger. I know a lot of Latin NASCAR drivers have kind of done that. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the, uh, the majority is a lot of people start start racing when they're when they're very young. Um, I actually didn't. I was uh a snowboarder. I like being outdoors more so than anything when I was younger. Um, and I didn't really get the bug until, uh, probably about a decade or so now ago when I was, you know, early twenties. Um, you know, I was always competitive as a kid. Um, always like different competitions, whether it was, you know, snowboarding and just having little, you know, competitions and stuff. Um, you know, played sports when I was younger, did baseball and stuff, but the, the margins in racing are so close at it. It really is, uh, uh, a, com- a competitor's competitor's field. So, is there a lot of big money in car racing, or is it just kind of uh, it's something you sort of do on the side? Uh, for us, it's something we enjoy doing on the side. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's these the old age adage of uh, you know the the quickest way to make a million dollars in racing is start off with two million because it's, <laughs> it's unless you're unless you're really really good uh, and you're on a high level performance team um you know no matter the the racing uh group that you're part of uh it's very difficult to uh make money from it uh, a lot of times you can make it close to break even but that's about the best the uh the people in the uh, grassroots level are going to do so, so most people us, when they're they, doing this they don't really quit their day job or anything at least not uh, right away no 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 we all we all work different jobs i have a couple of friends up here who uh you know work is you know, manufacturing, they, um, you know, I, myself, I work at the, uh, the college of Rhode Island. So we all work different jobs and, um, you know, on the weekends we, uh, we do our cart races. That sounds like a lot of fun and something that I could probably get into my, myself. When you, um, when you started this, I mean, you kind of knew that kart racing was kind of a, a, a real serious sport like this, or would you, you just sort of looked at it as sort of like, oh, here's another avenue of racing that we could get into? No, I mean, like I said, we started, um, myself and my other uh, very close teammate, we started doing uh, rally cross together uh, years ago. And, uh, you know, the more we did it, you know, we obviously saw the expense of it. And, uh, you know, we wanted to go more. We just couldn't couldn't really afford to. Um, and we started carting a little bit here and there on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and what ended up happening is the more we did carting, um, the more we progressed through it, the better we got at it. 
And I said, you know, I said, I wish there was a way to, to do this on a larger scale, not just at, you know, one track you go to all the time. I mean, that's easy to get good at if you go to the, the same place every yeah. weekend. So, that's um, true. You get used yeah. to that one, that one circuit and then it's right now. I, I know that kart racing is a sport. I mean, when I, when I was a kid, I used to, you know, go go-karting on Saturday nights, that sort of thing. And I figured it was something that could be a sport, but I had no idea that it was something that was fairly well established already. So I was a little surprised when I looked around and I said, Hey, wow, this, this is really a thing. Is it, how big of a sport is kart racing? Um, I'd say it's really big. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of forgotten about in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, I was telling someone last night how, if you look at a lot of people, uh, across the racing industry, I said, they either started off in small circle track racing or they started mm -hmm. off in carts. Um, and a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, carts, there's a lot of, you know, younger people. And I would say it's probably a good 50 to 60% or about my age, I'm 31 and a lot of them are between my age and 40. It's a large demographic like that. I've heard there are even some uh, some older folks than that that uh, kind of get into it or have been in a tour for a while, and they just kind of like doing it. Uh, but I do know that the younger kids are are into it more. So this is this is really a growing sport, right? And it's just yeah, of course. I mean, the, the the biggest thing I was having a conversation with someone last night about it, and I was saying that carding specifically. If you look at the the basics of it, I said it is quintessentially the best, most competitive form of racing there is. You know, the lightest possible, you know, machine you could be operating and, you know, rear wheel drive. Um, you could either do a manual shifter cart or you could do a single gear where it's just gas and brake. So, yeah, they're uh, they're definitely getting bigger and bigger as, as the years goes on. Hmm. And when we're... Uh, talking about kart uh, racing as as a sport, I mean, unlike stock car or Formula Run One racing, you know, and we're talking about a sport that can be held indoors or outdoors, not just an outdoor thing. So, yeah. aside from the obvious differences in venue, what are the advantages and disadvantages of racing in these two environments? Uh, indoor compared to outdoor. Yeah, yeah. So, indoor, you're going to get more electric vehicles. Um, they have a lot, I think the company that that's prominent in that market is called Rivo or Remo, Remo, R-I-M-O. Uh, they're based out of Germany. Uh, a lot of the carding that I've seen, uh, at least in New England has been by that company. Um, awesome performance carts. Um, obviously you get all the benefits of electric for the environment based. So you can mm -hmm. run, you know, run them indoors without having to worry about ventilation and such. And then also you get the performance of the electric, you know, vehicle per se, where you get, you know, those added benefits of instant torque and such. Um, and then outdoor is, I would say, almost two different things. Uh, indoor, you're going to have, uh, at least the ones that I've been to for tracks, the indoor ones are very, uh, very close, very, you know, they don't have a lot of room to really let the carts right, yeah, run up yeah. to full speed. Compared to I've, the I've carted indoors and yeah, it's a little bit more, <laughs> little, little more closed in. Right, right. Well, yeah, and then the outdoor ones are allowed to you know push the carts a little faster. I um, mean, the tracks are usually a lot wider as well with the outdoor ones, so you have more room to 
um, you know, perform your uh, or perfect your racing craft as well. Figure out a good mm-hmm. racing line when it comes to that. Well, what's the fastest speed of a go kart? By the way, I mean, what, what, how fast can you really uh, get them to go? So very. The other day, I was having a conversation with someone looking to get some new carts for next year. And, um, you know, right now we're running a, a two-stroke engine, and we're possibly looking into getting a, a larger four-stroke. Um, on the low end, if, if you went, you know, lowest of the lowest go-kart, you're probably looking at probably 45 to 50 miles an hour. Uh, how how, how many? About 45 to 50. Really? That much? Because, I mean, the go-kart tracks that yeah. I went to and that I paid money for, they wouldn't go much faster than about... 20 miles an hour most right. and that's that's what a lot of people think of when we when we say oh we do yeah. you know cart racing and stuff they say oh like these style like oh no no these are uh and that's usually on the low end um you know on the upper echelon of carts uh shifter carts you're probably looking at about north of 100 probably 105 110 wow so, they, so, they you, so these have gearboxes and everything where you're you're shifting yeah, I mean, some of the upgraded ones, the higher the higher echelon of carts, you'll look into shifter carts where they actually have gears and a and a transmission to to go through those. Wow, I didn't realize it went quite that fast. Like I said, I'm just used to putzing around on a Saturday night and pay my three right. bucks and sit down for five minutes and until they call you in or something. But right. you know, so this is this is something that's that's completely different from that. I mean, it's it it takes this up to a whole nother level. Um, is is it a fairly safe sport? Yeah, I mean the the biggest thing that um, you'll notice if you go to a uh, some tracks that are a little bit more like what you were describing, where it's a front mm-hmm. fighter Saturday night, they'll have added safety measures put on because of the uh, the liability and insurance that they carry compared to if you're running a racing series. Theirs will be a little bit different. Most of the competitive racing carts don't use seatbelts, um, which you're going to oh, want. Really? No, they don't, which is surprising to people. You'd think they'd have seatbelts, but... Yeah, if you're going 50, 60 miles an hour or better, I would think that would be a requirement. So so in there, in the... um, And the FIA is the one who runs essentially all racing, you know, Mm -hmm. across the globe. Um, But they essentially would rather you... If the cart starts to maneuver in a way or gets unsafe, they'd rather you bail out essentially of the cart, almost like a motorcycle, and let the cart, you know, go down the track. Yeah. So you like like jump you jump out of it or something? Uh, well, it's, if it's still flat, you wouldn't hop out of the cart. You'd stay in it. Uh, uh-huh. But if the cart does flip over, they'd want you to be out of the cart, almost similar to a, a motorcycle would be, rather than oh, trying I see. to keep you in it. I see. And yeah. you guys are wearing helmets and things like that. You wear like a I wouldn't say it's a fire suit per se, but it's like a a, a full suit. So you've got some protection yep. there, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's another large difference between carting and stock car racing is that uh stock car racing uses the flame retardant suits because like mm-hmm. i mentioned you, if you're in the car and something catches fire they want you to have that protection compared to a cart where they don't allow uh the nomex which is the the fire resistant material they don't allow nomex uh at all mm-hmm. um they have skid resistant so it's almost like a motorcycle jacket or it's abrasion resistant so that way if something happens and you get tossed out of the cart you're able to slide with, you know, minimal effect, uh, but none of the the fire resistant material. So there, I take it there's some padding or something in in the suits too to help protect yeah. you if if you go out or take a tumble or something. Yeah, um, like yeah. I said, they're very the closest thing I would compare it to is a motorcycle. Um, 
you know, suit. Uh, oh, obviously, okay. we don't wear full yeah. leather. That's a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more towards the motorcycle side. Um, but yeah, we do have added pads. Um, and then obviously we have uh, Snell rated helmets, neck, um, you know, neck protectors as well to keep mm-hmm. our head from, from rolling around too much. Mm-hmm. Oh, so so there is there is a big measure of safety in the sport overall. I, but I've, the people who get hurt in this, I take it. I'm, I'm sure there have been people that have been hurt. Yeah, I mean, I personally haven't uh, experienced anything too too dramatic, which I guess is a, a good thing. Um, I haven't noticed anybody else around me have that happen either. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, when you get to the level of racing that we are, usually everybody has a good racing mindset. And they're able to uh, conduct themselves in a way that's safe for everybody around them. You know, I've even heard, I was Googling around a little bit uh, the other day, and I've even heard that there might be some health benefits to carding. And it can actually even help with fitness and weight loss to to a small degree. Not anything great, but I guess as far as in terms of the stresses and and, and all that, that, that you kind of have to endure when you're your carting, um, I take it that that sort of burns some calories. But I, I hear it's actually um, what do they call it? Non-aerobic kind of kind of um, yeah. um, exercise, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's one of the the biggest things I'd mentioned to one of our new uh, onboard you know drivers with our team. He had uh, he had done an endurance race with us a couple of months ago, and he says, "Oh yeah, I'll just you know kind of show up and race." I said, "We should probably want to like." you know, get some exercise, you know, a lot of cardio. Uh, I said, you don't have to go crazy with weights, but you want to get, you know, some resistance training in. And he kind of was confused by it. I said, well, you know, carts don't have power steering. So you are oh, yeah, forcing the true. wheels the whole time, that's whether right. it's a, a 15 minute race or your endurance races, which could go for hours. So it, yeah, it really it's still is. some, it's still endurance racing, but how, how long is an, an average race or is there an average? Is this, there's some races that are like really, really short on short tracks and others that, that can take hours to, to, to run. Uh, so a lot of them are broken up into different segments. So when you go to a race, let's say it's a Saturday and Sunday race, they'll have mm-hmm. different uh, groups racing at different times. So they'll have, you know, the um, once one certain specification of a cart race at ten o'clock, the next one races at ten thirty. So usually you'll, you'll be actively racing for probably fifteen to thirty minutes usually, and then you have, um, you know, you might have an hour long race for a championship series, or you can even go into an endurance race. I know the the longest one they do for karting, which is not the average, but it's a twenty four hour race down in Atlanta, wow. Georgia. So is a set number of laps or it's just, they just rate it by time. No. So it's, it run, um, the carding association really runs a lot of their rules and, uh, strategies based on the Le Mans series and formula one. Mm -hmm. So the way they do the 24 hour race is you have practice in qualifying to figure out grid position. Mm -hmm. And then once the race starts, they cart, they start the timer down from 24 hours and then once the timer ends, hmm. it would be whoever's in first would follow through. That's pretty interesting. I'd like to talk more about the 24-hour racing, but that that's almost a different subject entirely. Yeah. Uh, and we have a limited amount of time today. But 
uh, I really would like to to touch a little bit on your team. Now, you're not racing alone. You, you've got a whole team of people here. Tell me a little about your team and how you got them all together. So what I mentioned, our team initially started with uh, myself and then another friend of mine who's also named Chris. Uh, we started doing Rally together. Uh, he was my co-driver, and we just had a really good relationship with that. And as we progressed away from auto racing and towards kart racing, we stuck together. Um, and obviously, we've ended up here with racing as two different carts, uh, but on the same on the same team, which naturally would would bring some internal competition is there as well. Uh, and then the other two members who just joined uh, a few months ago, one comes from a uh, dirt bike racing background, mm-hmm. and he's done very well for for his racing series. Uh, so he knows a lot. He brought a lot to us, the endurance style. So he helped us kind of map out what it would take to do a two-hour, three-hour race. Um, no, like no, would that be Mitch or would it be Jackson? Uh, Jackson. Jackson. Does Jackson. The, okay. Does the yeah. race thing. And then Mitchell, okay. who is Chris Brown's brother, um, mm-hmm. does the uh, sim racing. And he's done very well. He does more the stock car style sim racing. Um mm-hmm. But again, it's uh, to us, a lot of the racing really boils down to a lot of the, the fundamentals. So we're glad to, to bring him on board as well. That's cool. Um, yeah, sim racing is a, another thing uh, altogether. And I, I didn't really realize that was a big competitive sport. I mean, that's we're kind of getting into the gaming arena here, uh, I believe. And, and my son is, is really into that, uh, to gaming per se. But... Um, I didn't realize that sim racing was such a big thing until until the pandemic, and they were all sitting at home, and I'm watching right. simulated NASCAR races at home, <laughs> which I thought was kind of a weird, really weird experience. But there's some of those drivers that are kind of into that. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, just the other day. Uh, I was following the news on the Formula One race in uh, Italy being canceled due to some uh, natural disasters they had around the track. And hmm. what they were thinking of doing, I don't know if they actually went through with it, but they were going to have all the drivers enter into a, a sim race for that mm-hmm. track. And they were going to, you know, have all the proceeds go to those affected during the, the natural disasters. But yeah, I mean, there are some, wow. there are some large names who do, who do sim racing and, yeah. um, you know, coming from that background, you know, growing up, we've always used that stuff as, you know, practice. And then people, mm-hmm over the years, especially during the pandemic said, Oh, well, if I'm doing this at home and I'm just practicing against myself, I can, you know, race against somebody on the other side of the country. So we've got a whole racing team here together. They get that everybody's kind of at every race or do you have everybody, uh, everybody doing the same job at every race, I should say, or, uh, do like, do some of you guys switch off driving or who's uh, who, how do you work that out? So usually we like to have uh, myself and Chris are our two primary drivers for mm-hmm. as many events as we can attend, both logistically and financially. And then Jackson is our um, is our added driver. He usually will attend if we're doing an endurance race to where we'll mm-hmm. rotate through drivers. And then Mitchell is our communications guy, so he'll run the um, he'll keep track of all our race times. Um, he'll keep track of what's going on in the pits. If we have media coverage, he'll coordinate with them to make sure we're getting certain things covered. 
Um, so that way myself and the other drivers can concentrate on the race. So he's kind of like your crew chief then? Yes. Yeah, he would be yeah. our crew chief. So he's he's a very good racer. Um, and as we started to approach the idea of doing this on a larger scale, uh, he tipped his hat out and said, you know what, I'll be the crew chief. And he's he's very good at it. We appreciate him doing that. Hey, there are a lot of crew chiefs out there uh, in in these racing venues that uh, that start off as big racers, and and that's how they earn their their stripes of being a good crew chief, you know, because they they have that experience and they know what it's like in the in the car and and uh, what's what's needed, what's required, but what the limitations are, that sort of thing. So it, it requires a certain mindset to to do that. Mm-hmm. It really does. Well, let's let's talk about um, the radio. Of course, we're gonna obviously <laughs> we're gonna talk <laughs> about the the radios because this is the two way radio show. Right. But uh, having said that, um, I mean, we all know that two way radios are used extensively in in NASCAR and you know other racing organizations. So it's not surprising to find that they would also be a tool for communications and kart racing as well. But just how important are they to a CART team? Just how are, how are they used and just how critical they are to the communications? Very. Uh, you know, I have, our, uh, I have your, your website link up on our website, and I wrote a little biography about that as well. Uh, and in the biography, I mentioned that. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, of course. And, you know, I mentioned that without communication, uh, whether it's hand signals or, or audiovisual, um, it's very difficult to win a race, even if you're the fastest guy out there. So um, starting off, we we did use pit signs. We used hand signals to try and coordinate with the drivers. Uh, mm-hmm. But there is a lot of, uh, as you progress up into the more competitive stages in racing, there is a lot of information that can't be passed through hand signals or a sign. Um, what am I running for a lap time? How quick is the guy behind me? Should I let him pass? Should I should I race him and not let him pass? Just, you know, that's very difficult to to wave somebody down and tell them that. So, um, as we progressed through, we started to look at using radios, and we looked at the the wide variety that there are, both uh, wired connections, wireless radios, um, and. For, for the last year or so, we tried to stick with something simple to use. Mm-hmm. And that way we can use that as a benchmark of what we know we need and what we don't need in those radios. And if we need to progress up through, then we can go from there. Well, I can imagine that it would be especially important, you know, as far as hand signals are concerned, that would be kind of an issue if you're doing some sort of, uh, if you're on some sort of long and winding track and you don't have spotters everywhere, I, I, you know, especially if there's an emergency or something, I can imagine that that's, that's going to be uh, probably something you can't really do sometimes. Right. I mean, they do have at the larger tracks, at the outdoor tracks, they do have spotters for the race organization itself. So if something mm-hmm. does happen um, safety-wise, they're able to flag somebody down and have the, the driver navigate to the side of the track. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of us, like I mentioned, the the distance itself was something where we wanted to make sure we had a radio uh, to cover that distance. So usually from, the, from where the pit lane is to the furthest part of the track, usually is... Uh, well under uh, a half a mile 
um, you know, because mm-hmm. usually you're going back and forth in front of the pit lane, um, not really going down away from it. So uh, the distance is always well, when, well within a, a reach of a handheld radio. Now, is this usually on flat terrain or, or any hilly terrain or any, anything where there might be some other obstructions getting in the way on, on the track, like trees and things like that? Uh, on a couple of tracks, we do have some obstacles, nothing that's, I would say, impar- you know, uh, detrimental to the, to the use of the radio. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a couple living up in New England, as I'm sure you guys have down south. Uh, we have a lot of hilly areas racing up in the mountains. Um, yeah. But you might lose a, a visual line of sight for not very long. So mm-hmm. um, if it does become an issue, usually we're able to uh, reconnect those radios in a, in a short time. Now, I know that you're using some Midland FRS radios right now. Yes. Uh, I think, uh, what, what are you using? The T31s, I think is what they are? T51s. We have the T51s. The T51s. Okay. Um, th- do you find that works pretty well for your team? Yeah. I mean, initially, I was the one who, who ordered those. I made a clerical error that the T31s don't have a, a headset connector. So, we had to yeah. reorder the T51s, and those have worked great. Um we might be looking to upgrade to the to the T seventy ones towards the end of this mm-hmm. year because they have the um, more sensitive or less sensitive uh, Vox settings. The the fifty ones mm-hmm. only go up to about a three that you can adjust, and the seventy ones I believe go up to a nine or a twelve. Okay, when we were talking about the helmets earlier, uh, I, I take it that it's also critical that you have a uh, an earpiece. Uh, in the helmet itself, so that uh, so that the driver can hear everybody, and vice versa, and uh, that sort of thing. What, what are you using right now for uh, an earpiece for the helmet? I mean, we use the. I'll have to look it up on the website again. I don't remember exactly, but there was a uh, when we bought the T fifty ones, it had a recommended mm-hmm. of uh, a headset. It might be from uh, Rugged Radios, I believe, or Midland. Um, but they sell a, a headset for uh, both two earpieces for the helmet and then a microphone as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, these work pretty well with the Midlands right now? Yeah, I and mean, we haven't had any issues. Um, we were just having a, a meeting the other day about uh, different races we have for this year. And we were mm-hmm. saying that we've noticed the, the Vox actually works really well on the indoor track because you don't have the noise from the motor. Um, you might yeah, noise people. is a big factor on, on Vox. Uh, yeah. we, we did a couple part series on, on that, uh, and the podcast in the past and it's, um, yeah, Vox, unless you really, you really know what you're doing with the Vox, it can be, uh, a lot of people get into, to doing, you know, using Vox and they don't really understand how that works and, and what the limitations are. Sounds like you got that worked out though. It took us a while, but we were able to figure it out. Um, and like I said, the, the indoor tracks is a lot easier to use Vox. You might get an mm-hmm. occasional noise from the tires or uh, a passing cart if you're, if you're rubbing and racing. Uh, but the outdoor, it's, we tried it, is, is not a chance to use Vox at all. So uh, for the outdoor races, we just have the additional push-to-talk uh, connector mm-hmm. uh, to use those. And we talked about how much coverage you generally need because they're usually half-mile tracks or left. So it sounds like FRS radio, and of course they're license-free, FRS radios is is really a, a good call on this because you're pretty much going to get all that that coverage. And uh, that, you know, for 
half a mile or, or less, you're, you're usually pretty good. I know some, uh, you know, a lot of people have gone to GMRS radios. Of course, that needs a license, but you get more power out of that. And um, I think, uh, you know, for what you're doing, I think going like with a business radio or something, that's kind of uh, kind of overkill. But the FRS radio sounds like they're perfect for what you need. And, you know, I've um, had conversations with people before. We've done episodes of the podcast before. We talk about, well, what are the FRS radios good for overall? Are they just for families and just for the kids to play with and stuff like that? And I say, no, not at all. There are a lot of local businesses that use FRS radios for serious stuff. Now, there does come with the FRS, there does come a question of discrete communications because, as you know, FRS is pretty much all those channels are open. So um, I had a question about uh, how that's worked out. In other words, do you, um, I mean, obviously not everybody's going to be talking on the same channel for all your racing teams that, that, that you're racing against. How does that work out? Is everyone, uh, does the, um, uh, then you decide, okay, uh, this team's going to be on this channel. This t- team is going to be on another channel. That sort of thing. Keep everything separate. And so you're not, you're all not interfering with each other. How, do, how does that work? So I know that going into a lot of the races, they have had the, uh, certain channels set aside for the emergency personnel. So the mm-hmm. track officials will use channel one, EMS will use channel two. So that way nobody uses those ones specifically. Mm-hmm. But other than that, we haven't had any issue with uh, keeping our conversations private. We still do have certain keywords that we'll mention to each other just as a safeguard. Uh, like a little code. Them. Yeah, I won't divulge them <laughs> here, but uh, we do have a little code that we use just in case something happens. But I haven't experienced anything to where people are, you know, saying, oh, well, I know that they're using channel 10. Let's hop on there for a couple minutes and see what they're messaging. So, yeah, I was going to ask, you know, you never know. Some some of these racing teams that get very competitive <laughs> and we'll find yeah. out what's going on everywhere else. But uh, for the most part, that's not really an issue then. No, I haven't experienced anything like that where, um, you know, I know when we first got into it, I'd asked a couple of other teams like, hey, like what channels are you guys? And it was very, you know, just kind of everyone kind of keeps their information to themselves and kind of the place there. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Understood. So that's good. It sounds like you guys have it worked out. What about um, – uh, the the number of teams that are participating in a race overall is it, uh, is it going to vary? Uh, you know, one to two teams, or are you going to have like fifteen teams or something? Or you know, how large are these uh, these events overall? I mean, they're fairly large. Um, and any given event or weekend, you could have um, probably anywhere between fifty to hundred teams. Really? But wow. Yeah, it's it's quite a few. And, but that obviously gets narrowed down by which series you could be racing in. So, and most of that is based on uh, your racing experience. You'll get slotted into a, a certain category based on racing experience. And then also your, uh, your cart's performance as well. And that's how that's dictated. So your team pretty much competes with, uh, pretty much that you stay within the New England um, states and that sort of thing. But yes. um, I understand that this is, it's not just a national sport, but I, I've seen that it's international as well. I've, I've looked up online and, and there are uh, 
you know, kart racing teams and, and events that go on pretty much all over the world. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast that the FIA is such a large organization where you could start off in karting. Typically you'll start off in karting young age, four to eight years old, somewhere in that range. And then you'll progress through to larger open wheels cars, or you might even transition into stock car racing as well. Um, but no, for sure, there are a lot of uh, microorganisms within the United States to where it'll be regional, Northeast or the Pacific mm -hmm. Northwest. And then you'll have the, you could race an organization that races all across the US, or you could even go international and race over there as well. You all thought about doing anything international down the road sometime? <laughs> I know that's probably outside your budget. Definitely know it's outside of mine, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, for you sure, that is about definitely it? something we've, we've always thought about. And, you know, time will tell. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I didn't think we'd be racing at the level we are now. So we'll see what, we'll see what the next couple of years hold. Oh, great. Now, you just had an event, last, uh, what, about a month ago. And yep. um, you got another one coming up here shortly? Yeah, uh, coming up, I believe, this, this upcoming weekend, June 3rd. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be headed out. To uh, Tansworth, New Hampshire, so uh, it should be a pretty good time. And uh, you know, like I mentioned, there's you know we were mentioning before about the FRS radios. Um, I mean, that was our that was our biggest selling point. Was I mean, we could go out and spend a lot of money on something that we don't need, but mm -hmm. the FRS the FRS radios work perfectly for us. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for your time here on the Two Way Radio Show podcast. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, wow, well, I wish you and your team the best of luck in your future races, and I uh, hope everything goes well for you all there. Uh, we're speaking with Chris North of NotReadyRacing.com. Chris, go ahead, and uh, if anyone wants to contact you or for more information about this, uh, tell everybody where, where they can contact you. Yeah, well, thank you for having us on the podcast today. Uh, if anybody wants any more information on where we'll be or any contact information for questions about getting into into kart racing we have our website notreadyracing.com and on that website you'll find the links to our instagram our facebook page and then also our uh email and phone number on there as well great once again thanks a lot for being on the show chris i really appreciate it wish you all the best of luck and um we'll be we'll be seeing you on the track i guess huh? <laughs> yeah we'll have to we'll have to get you guys out there sometime and get on the track with us Great. Take care. All right. Thank you. Yeah, Dana, we learned some interesting things here today in this interview. We learned how radios are used in racing. Um, he made some interesting points here. The instant communications with the pit crew, the uh, communications with the spotters, communication between the driver and the team leader, uh, and emergency communications. Uh, they're, they're all very, very important. But he said they were critical. Yeah. Um First of all, thanks a lot for Chris to joining you in that interview. That was a good interview, Rick. Uh, thanks, uh, you guys, for doing that. Mm -hmm. But he, you're right. It sounds like, from his perspective, radios are critical because, I mean, he gave us the alternative there in the interview. He said, you know, without radios, they're using signs and hand yep. signals to communicate from the pits, from the crew to the driver in the car. And mm -hmm. you can just imagine how limited your communication would be if 
you were, were relying on signs and hand signal. I mean, first of all, if it's a bigger track, you're not even going to be able to see your crew for most of the t- the time you're you're driving, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so using radios, I mean, instantly you have you have instant communication instead of having to wait until you're within visual range of the pits. Yeah, and once again, I imagine that the communications between the driver and the crew chief in general are, are just going to be. I mean, you know, in NASCAR, and I watch a lot of NASCAR racing. They're constantly in communication. You know, the driver and the and the crew chief are, are just constantly going back and forth. And, and we know now that that is also the case with kart racing or pretty much any kind of, of racing in motorsports. Yeah, I think that instant communication with your crew chief. I mean, I've never really been a, a kart racer or uh, done any kind of racing, but uh, I, I'm a fan. I watch it on TV. And... Uh, I mean, there's critical information, like knowing your lap times. If if you're trying something on the track and it's better than this lap was better than your last lap, knowing that as a driver is critical. Yeah. I imagine it's critical at least. And um, the positioning of other cars coming near you, if, if like something he mentioned was if a faster car how fast is the car that's coming up on him? Do I, do I just need to move over and let this guy overtake? Um, or should I race for position here? That That's also critical to know, and it's going to make you perform better. So, I mean, it really sounds like radios are a must-have if you're in any kind of racing. And, and fortunately, from what he was saying, even low-priced, inexpensive radios give him great coverage. You're using Midland T51s which are yeah. very inexpensive radios and they, they perform great for him. Yeah. And, and here's a point that he covered early on because we were talking about how in this type of racing, you've got uh, indoor and outdoor venues and with the indoor racing, um, they're using the UHF radios there. You you would figure, well, maybe maybe for outdoor racing, VHF radios might be better. But uh, apparently, it's it's not really an issue at all. Uh, you know, you're out in the open. It's half a mile or less. It's it's all good. They generally don't have any trouble uh, communicating using UHF radio. So, in their case scenario, it's you know FRS radios are just fine for that kind of a purpose. And yeah, I would absolutely think that, that UHF radios for racing are going to be fine. Um, even larger road tracks, I would think UHF, um, mm-hmm. would be maybe even preferred over VHF. Um, but I was a little surprised to hear, like he's saying 50 to a hundred teams at an event. Mm-hmm. He's using FRS radios. And I think the radios he's using are fine, but, um, FRS in general, I'm surprised he doesn't get more interference with only 22 channels and a lot of teams like that. Now, he he did say they break the events up into different series. So you're not going to have 50 to 100 teams on the track at any one time. So uh, I'd be interested to know how many teams or cars are are on the track at any given moment. But you're limited to 22 channels with FRS. So I, I would think that that could be a bottleneck? Well, not only are 
they limited to the 22 channels, but they don't even get all 22 channels because some of those channels, as he mentioned in the interview, a few of those channels are actually reserved for the uh, for all the people that are managing the event and, and coordinating it and all that sort of thing uh, in general. Like if they're going to some sort of a big racing event there, some of those channels are actually reserved for the officials to do various things. So, right. uh, so they're, they're limited to maybe what, um, 18 channels or 19 channels, something like that. So that that's uh, interesting how they coordinate that. I, I was a little bit surprised to hear that, but I, and that's why I asked because I, I was really curious about that. Um, yeah, I, I'm surprised with the uh, my, my biggest surprise is that with 22 channels available, he's not having any problem with interference. And if that's the case, then that's awesome because it opens up a world of low cost products. And like like he said in the interview, racing is a hobby. It, Mm-hmm. takes probably a considerable amount of money. So mm-hmm. I think lowering your cost in any way possible is going to be big. So being able to get away with using a set of $50 radios um, is got to be a, that's, that's got to be a big plus mm-hmm. as opposed to say going with business radios that might be a couple hundred dollars a piece and getting oh, yeah. licensed yeah. and, and uh, all that. So using a couple of uh, off the shelf radios that's the that's the alternative right if you're at a yeah. uh, if you're running into interference a lot um then the alternative is going with like an itinerant license and business radios mm-hmm. so um i i think it's important if 22 channels is enough and you're not running into any problems then that's uh yeah. major uh, he did major mention positive. Now he did mention that um, that some of the teams use FRS, some use GMRS. He says the ones that that you know that really have the money to afford it will will get GMRS licenses and, and use the GMRS radios. Um, which well, you know, they're going to run sense. into the same problem. They're, yeah, the yeah, same, they do. Exactly. I don't I think GMRS exactly. gives you any advantage over FRS in this case. No, I don't. I don't think it does either. Really, May, except maybe just a little more coverage area uh but other than that though for this type of application uh, no i agree with you it it, it wouldn't well uh, i wonder if the weight um you know with racing especially in light vehicles like a cart i wonder if weight is a factor like if, if a radio that's um would a pound make a difference probably not it's probably so insignificant it, like a, a lighter radio is not a big difference from a heavier radio well, it it could because, um, like for instance, in in NASCAR races, you know they they put everything into the speed, so they they lighten the load whenever they can, and and you know it's one of the reasons why there are certain things on the car that are not uh, on the car. They're they're basically you know like for instance, well I I think in the case of the lights, the reason they use stickers instead of actual light headlights are because uh, they don't want glass getting all over the place if there's a wreck, but also there's that weight factory and anything in, in there. Like, they don't have high-end AC systems in there. That's why they have those those uh, air hoses in the helmets to force the air in there to keep the drivers cool, and it gets pretty hot because they can't really put AC units in there because that's going to put a drag on the motor and take away a lot of their, their speed. So, 
those stock cars are kind of bare bones, so to speak, because they got to put everything into making these things as fast as possible. I can imagine that that's probably the case with kart racing to some degree well, as well. I, I used to have a friend that was into Miata racing. And it was a, a hobby that he did, like on the weekends, him and his wife would go, uh, you know, drive to the next state over or something and, uh, you know, uh, race their Miata uh, over the weekend. And he, I know weight was one of his biggest concerns. He would take the seats out of his car and he, he pulled like all kind of stuff out of this, uh, what was a stock Miata just to lower the weight. Now, now I don't think that. You know, I say a, a radio that weighs 12 ounces would be that preferable uh, or, or that much worse than a radio that weighs four ounces. But I guess all things being equal, you'd take the lighter radio. That would be probably a, a, a factor to consider, I guess. That might be one. I, I need to follow up with him to find out more about that aspect of it. I, I, I didn't ask him that question, and I, I probably yeah. should have, but uh, I, I think that's a good follow-up. A question for him. Uh, maybe I can put it in a blog post or something at some point. I, I did have a an idea that maybe in the case of having the radios in the vehicle, like mounted in the vehicle, you could probably get away with mounting a micro mobile radio, which doesn't it doesn't weigh that much at all. I don't think it would take up much in the vehicle as far as space or weight is concerned, uh, like like an MXT-105, you know, a Midland MXT-105 would probably be a right. really nice, perfect thing. And you'd have the, the uh, uh, you know, you have the radio in there all the time. However, considering that, you still have to power the thing. And, you know, I don't know that they would want to wire that up. Uh, because I, these are only like what, uh, uh, two or four cycle engines, that kind of thing. So there's probably not a whole lot they, uh, available for them and, uh, you know, for power, unless you can operate it by battery or something. And then that's more weight. So I don't know. Well, I mean, my, my instinct is that simpler, the better with yeah. this, like a small lightweight radio, like a T51 that he's using is probably the best choice for him. Mm -hmm. As long as, you know, he's not getting interference, um, I would stick with what he's doing because, you know, that's a small, very light radio. It's working for him. It's giving him the coverage that he needs. It's not requiring something to be installed in the vehicle that's going to pull power from the motor or the battery. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love the choices that he made here. And now the the headset that he's used, he said he's using Vox. That kind of surprised yeah. me. Yeah. Um, because, um, and he's interested in maybe moving to a T71 because of the extra Vox sensitivity settings. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if something like a steering wheel push to talk button might be better than relying on Vox because Vox is, uh, like we've talked about it before. Vox is a little problematic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? That actually might be a really good uh, alternative for for him when he's in or whoever's driving. I, I know he has either him or his friend that uh, switches off for driving sometimes. But, yeah, if you have that on the, the steering column or somewhere where you can strap it next to it where he can access it easily and just hit that push to talk there, um, that might be a good alternative. That's something I didn't even uh, consider, really. And we, we have a unit like that that will fit some radios. I don't, I don't, uh, 
it may fit the Midlands. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's made for. Uh, I can't remember which radios it's made for right offhand, but it it may well have one that fits the Midlands. And, and I that may a- be what he's using. He he mentioned that he was using a helmet headset that had a external PTT. He just didn't yeah. say yeah. Um, what kind of uh, where the PTT is. But I know there's a lot of options out there for you know something to mount on the steering wheel. So he's probably ahead of us on that. Yeah, I I would imagine that. Yeah, they they probably thought through all of this already. Um, you know, I did have. Uh, a list of recommended models for kart racing in general, he, and he's using the the T fifty ones, which is one that uh, um, they seem to like using. So that's probably a good option. Um, th- those are radios that are you know they're FRS radios from Midland, and they run about um, for a pair of them. They uh, you know they're pretty reasonably priced. Uh, that I don't have the pricing in front of me at the moment, but uh, I know that they're they're fairly reasonable um, but there are some others there that might also be good options like the lxt 630 you know there's a three pack of those for for whole team um, or three out of the four members of, of their team um, that's a value pack that's 89.99 the lxt 500 is another possible option and those are like 47.99 for a pair so they're, they're pretty reasonably priced but i i did want to um mentioned that, you know, I think for the maximum coverage possible, because all those radios are pretty, you know, they're fairly low powered, actually. Um, If you wanted to get the maximum of two watts on that, a KG805F or an FS uh, is, you know, that's got more power than any of the other uh, radios out there. And that's that's also an option, and it has some features on there. To, and the ruggedness, I think, a lot for me uh, in considering that radio is the fact that they're really, really rugged and could probably take a beating in, you know, in a race car. Yeah, I, I do like um, for an FRS radio. If you're looking for a good professional quality one, the Ocean uh, KG805F and FS are good options. I might. If I'm doing hobby racing of any kind, I would probably start with a Midland though, just to keep costs down and see if um, it works for you because they're so much more, so much less expensive. The uh, oceans are about a hundred dollars a radio. I think they perform better and they do get the full uh, two Watts that they're capable of. uh, And they're a little more durable, but they're considerably higher. Yeah, they're also compact too. It's not like they're going to add a lot of weight. They're not, you know, really heavy radios either. So um, I think it'd work out for them. In any case, though, we uh, had a really, really interesting discussion with Chris, and I learned a lot of things. You know, I, we could have gone into this show just sitting down and saying, well, here's some radios for racing, and this is how they're used for racing. Um, but since we're not racers ourselves, I think it was better for us to go just straight to the source and find out exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it and just how critical these radio communications are to racing. Uh, I agree. I think it was a good interview. I think that uh, we should do more interviews like this on the show. Um, I wonder what uh, people in the audience think. Uh, yeah, what do you guys definitely. think? 
So let Definitely. us know. Send us an email or reach out and uh, let us know. Do you like this interview? Do you want to see more like this going forward and, on the Two Way Radio Show? Yeah, and leave your comments, uh, good, bad, indifferent, or whatever. And uh, if we read them on the show, we we may send you some swag too, uh, to as a thank you for that. Um, well, I guess that kind of covers it for this topic. We do have a couple of comments and questions from our blog and our forum at twowayradioforum.com. A couple, a couple of simple ones. I'm going to read this. This one, uh, this one comes from, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure who it comes from, but he, he signs it Ken Wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's well, probably it's Ken, Ken Wood. What do you say? Yeah, it's uh, Ken Wood. Uh, it's Ken. So uh, Ken says, so if I buy two radios, say the GMRS, can I put a signal to both that no one can tap into? Or can someone hear us? Also, does the second person I give the radio to also have to get a license? And that's from Ken. And uh, I'll let you go with that one. That's a pretty simple one to answer. <laughs> So, uh, what, what is he asking again? Is it uh, he wants can, to know if if he if he buys two radios like GMRS radios uh, in particular, I guess, can he put a signal to both that no one can tap into? That's, that's totally private. Okay, or, okay. He, he wants you know, or, private communications. Yeah, and he says also, does the second person I give the radio to also have to get a license? And um, um, well, if it's GMRS then no, you can't encrypt your communications. Uh, that's a, a rule from the FCC. Um, so your, your communications have to be open and both people or everyone that's transmitting um, has to be licensed. Mm. Now, um, uh, a, a workaround is if you're unlicensed, you can use an FRS radio and talk on the exact same channels without a license. You can't use repeaters. But there's, yeah. a, there's a quick workaround. Yeah. Uh, also, if the other person is related to you, a GMRS license will cover you and basically everyone in your immediate family. Let's see. Our next one comes from Jeff. And Jeff wants to know, does the KGUV8H have crossband repeat like the UV8D has? That's from Jeff. Um, uh, it, yeah, it does, I believe. Yeah, that's another easy one. The, the KGUV8H is built on the same platform, basically, as the 8D. It's the 8D series radio is just an improvement, uh, a evolution of the platform somewhat. So it does have the crossband repeat. See, I told you these were easy. Now, our next one comes from Sean. He's commenting on our last episode, episode 178. We were uh, talking about radios for agriculture. And he says, there are several large farms in my area that use GMRS radios. I'm too far away for them to be FRS. I have seen a company that makes the small portable repeaters offer a couple of different farm GMRS packages. Mobile Plus HT, Base Plus Mobile Plus HT. The packages by 2 Radios offers are really nice, but I wonder if the KG935G isn't too much radio for non-radio nerds. Don't get me wrong, it is my preferred HT. However, when my family uses it, I just turn off the TDR and lock the keyboard. And he says, thanks for the podcast, and that's from Sean. Uh, Sean, you're welcome, and, and it's great uh, to have you listening uh, for, to each episode and, and your participation. Um, 
Do you uh, want to comment on I, that? I kind of, yeah, I kind of agree with him. The, the 935G is a, um, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of radio. It is. And the, no, the plus the is KG even more so. <laughs> yeah, the, the plus uh, is um, a radio for radio nerds, I would say. Or yeah. maybe future radio. If you want a powerful radio that's going to do everything you want, you'd want on GMRS, that is an option. If you're looking for a, a simple radio that's easy to use, then um, I might look at something like the 905G or the 805G. Yeah. Yeah, I agree there. The KGS88G is a little more complicated because it has the full keypad, but it's uh, it's a much simpler to use radio and it has full waterproof. So that's uh, another option. Yeah, yeah. Okay, our last one comes from Rudy, and Rudy wants to know, can the CLS 1410 be programmed to custom frequencies? I've seen one site saying that the dealer could do such a thing, and that's from Rudy. Um, you want to take that one? <laughs> uh, I think that the dealer can do that. Uh, I don't know if we're supposed to say that dealers can do that. Hmm. So... I will say, no, we can't change the frequencies on the CLS series, but I will add a wink after I say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, that's good enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, I guess it does it for our comments and questions in this episode. Send in your comments and questions to Danny, Anthony, or myself to show at buy2wayradios.com. If you want to know more about today's topic or about two-way radios in general, check out our forum discussions at twowayradioforum.com. You can subscribe to the Two-Way Radio Show directly from our website at twowayradioshow.com or hear it pretty much anywhere you can hear a podcast. And, of course, if you want to, you can click on the little blue subscribe by email button on our website at twowayradioshow.com and subscribe by email. Just drop your email address in the box and you'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes up. And uh, that's all you'll get. We're not going to badge you with any any uh, other emails, uh, no promotional emails or anything. It's just It's just for the podcast. All right, well, I guess that does it for uh, the show on uh, this episode. Um, any final comment before we go? I just want to thank Chris North again with Not Ready Racing and encourage everybody to check out their website at notreadyracing.com. Well, today's show is sponsored by BuyTwoWayRadios.com. Whether you're searching for two-way radios for general consumer or business use, BuyTwoWayRadios can help you find the best solution for your needs. Enter the promo code SHOW at checkout and save an additional 5% off your order. Give us a call at 1-800-584-1445 or enter our live chat at BuyTwoWayRadios.com. Well, everyone, as always, thanks for listening. And until next time, for the Two-Way Radio Show, I'm Rick Savoya. And I'm Danny Feimster. And we're out.